Well, um, everyone needs a little good news, and uh, I'm here today uh, to bring you good news. Good news because uh, I'm going to uh, focus on uh, the gospel. Um, the uh, root of that word uh, comes from uh, the idea of God's spell, and it is the idea of good news. And I am going to focus upon uh, the gospel. And so I would encourage you to turn to the gospel of Isaiah. Now this morning, in the earlier service, people were looking at me, saying, oh, now I recognize that. That's the old guy that the pastor usually invites to come when he's away. But I think he's losing it. The gospel of Isaiah, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, not Isaiah. Yes, uh, Isaiah. Because in Isaiah, a number of times, these words appear, good news. The gospel is found uh, in the book of Isaiah. And this morning, we are going to go through that book and find the good news. Yes, uh, I know your pastor, it takes him 30 minutes to cover one verse. I can do a book. In 30 minutes. Now, that may be a comment on the depth of my teaching ability, but we won't go there. We're just going to focus upon the fact that uh, Isaiah has good news for us. He um, presents to us a, a challenge um, and identifies the problem very quickly. In the sixth chapter of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah receives a vision from God. And in that vision, he sees these things. Verse 3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The word holy means um, pure. It means um, righteous. In our day, it has become, in theological word, uh, terms, um, totally other. What he's really saying is that God is holy and we are totally other. He emphasizes that by talking about verse, in verse 5, Woe is me, I cried, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Here is the problem. God is holy, and we are not. And there's a great gulf fixed between the holiness of God and the unrighteousness of man. Isaiah has this vision, and he says, I am... Um, unclean. He says, um, I'm uh, disconnected, really is the focus of the word. Uh, I don't have it all together. There's a great gulf fixed between the righteousness and the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, and there's no way that I can work my way up to God. I don't have the resources. I don't have the money, if we could buy our way to heaven. I don't have the righteousness if it is good works that's going to get me to heaven. I am undone. But 
In the midst of this vision, God gives to Isaiah a little clue that he will develop in the rest of the book on the solution to this particular problem. Because he will focus upon who is going to solve this problem and how it will be done. He um, gives us a little bit of a clue because um, God who is holy and man who is unholy sends angels. In the vision, Isaiah says, I'm undone, and God sends an angel to clean up his lips. So we have a little clue here in chapter 6 on just how God is going to solve the problem. He is the seeking God who comes seeking those who are lost. He comes to seek and to save. And we are given some clues about the nature of this person who is going to solve the problem just in the next chapter. For in chapter 7 and in verse 14, we have these words. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, we know the full meaning of this prophecy. But when we look at prophecy in the Old Testament, and especially in the book of Isaiah, there is an immediate solution. There is an immediate fulfillment to the prophecy. And then there is the ultimate fulfillment to the prophecy. And sometimes Isaiah had a clue about the immediate solution. But most of the time when he was writing, he had no clue about what was the ultimate fulfillment. He was writing about, speaking about things that he really did not know. He was saying more than he knew. Because God the Holy Spirit was revealing something to him concerning the future. And here in this prophecy, there is the immediate answer, the immediate problem, and that revolved around a, a man by the name of King Ahaz who appears in, uh, in verse 1. King Ahaz was concerned about the fact that people were going to come into Jerusalem and uh, they were going to overtake his, uh, his kingdom. And so what he thought was, if I get enough political friends uh, and make alliances uh, with them, then I will be secure. <laughs> Isaiah is saying to him, no, the way to get security is to put your trust in God. Put your faith in Him. And he, even if you've got weak faith, he says, ask God for a sign. Ahaz gets this pseudo-spiritual attitude about him and says, oh, I, I could never ask for a sign from God. I, I, that would be uh, um, pride. and I, I shouldn't do that. What Isaiah says in the prophecy is, listen, whether you ask it or not, God is going to give you a sign. A virgin will conceive, and you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Your solution, Ahaz, is not in finding political friends. Your solution is having God with you, as we have been uh, singing uh, uh, this morning. The immediate answer, the immediate prophecy was no doubt fulfilled in the life of Isaiah and his wife. Isaiah's first wife had died, and he remarried, and 
what God was saying to him and to the message to Ahaz is that your wife is going to give birth to a son, and that will be the sign to Ahaz and to the nation that God is with you. Now, a number of years later, we understand the fullness of that meaning. Isaiah's prophecies were written about 700 years before the birth of Christ. 700 years before Christ was born, this passage of Scripture uh, was written. And we now, living on the other side, are able to see what is the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment, because we know the story of Christmas, how the angel came and said that a virgin will conceive, and you will call his name Jesus, Emmanuel, God is with us. Those who um, deny the virgin birth of uh, Christ say, well, the word here is just talking about a woman of uh, meritable age. And that is true. That is the exact translation of this passage. But the New Testament picks up the message and says that uh, Mary, without benefit of a husband, without benefit of a man, would conceive because the Holy Spirit would come upon her and that which was born of her will be called Jesus virgin born. There was actually two miracles. There was the miracle of the virgin birth and the miracle of the, of the immaculate conception. I do not believe in the immaculate conception of Mary. Mary was a sinner. The Bible says that Mary, even in her uh, song, says that uh, she is a sinner uh, and identifies herself as a sinner. But I believe in the immaculate conception of Jesus, that he was virgin born and that he was born without sin. We are introduced also to the idea in the book of Isaiah about uh, this one that is to be born, just a couple of chapters over, in chapter 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. This one who is going to come and solve the problem of the holiness of God and the dreadful condition of man will not only be virgin born, but he will be the child born and the son given. Yes, Jesus was the child born in Bethlehem. And we celebrate at this time of the year the birth of Jesus Christ. But that was not the beginning of him. That was the beginning of his earthly ministry. That was the beginning of his humanity. God added to his divinity humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. But that was not the beginning of Jesus. Jesus always was. He is the eternal Son of God, who was, is, and evermore will be. Unto us a child is born. Yes, born that baby in Bethlehem. But unto us a son is given, the eternal Son of God. Son means uh, not less than, it means of the very same stuff. When my uh, son was growing up, he would quite often hear from his mother, uh, you're your father's son. And that was probably not a good thing. Uh, what she was identifying were some negative characteristics that are in me that, ah, happened to appear also in uh, my son. What she was saying is, he's of the very same stuff. The eternal son of God 
is of the very same stuff because he is God. Eternally, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful. The more you know about Jesus, the more wonderful he becomes. I wish that were true about all of us. But it's true about him. Wonderful. Counselor. He's the one that gives wisdom. He is wisdom. He can direct me in my life. He can help me with the challenges that I need, that I face. His name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of his government, the scripture says here, there will be no end. He will be upon the throne of his father David, and he will rule on that throne forever. It's not talking about the wooden throne that was King David's uh, in the temple. He is talking here about another fulfillment of Scripture. For when David became king, God said that someone would rule over the people of God forever. And here is the prophecy. That one who is virgin born, that child who is born, the son who is given, will be the one who rules over the people of God forever. He will rule on the throne of David. As a matter of fact, over a couple of more pages to chapter 11 and uh, verse 1, again a prophecy about Jesus. The shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and power, spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Then down to verse 5. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Here is the one, born of a virgin, child born, a son given, who will not only rule upon the throne of, of his father David, but will be from the very same stock. That's what the genealogies are all about in the book of uh, Matthew and uh, Luke. Tracing back Jesus Christ's genealogy back to David, the king. But he says here that he will be a root out of the stump of Jesse. Jesse, of course, was the father of David. And what the scripture is saying is that it's going to be a fresh start. (laughs) Many of the descendants of Jesse, in fact, all of them, were sinful. And they were inadequate kings to rule over Israel. But there's one that's coming. And his belt uh, is um, righteousness. His belt is faithfulness. You couldn't depend upon those other people. But when you strip down the one who is coming to the basic essentials, he is righteous. He is faithful. He will be the one who is able to rule over the house of David. We are introduced in chapter 40 to the second half of the book. Have you ever noticed that uh, the book of Isaiah is a little bit like uh, the Bible itself? The Bible has 66 chapters. Isaiah has six, 
The Bible has 66 books. Isaiah has 66 chapters. The Bible has a New Testament of um, 39 books. Isaiah divides up. The first half is the 39 chapters. And then the last half is uh, similar to the Bible's New Testament. In the, new, in the second half of the book of Isaiah, it is giving hope. What was happening, of course, in the history uh, 700 years before Christ is that God was saying to the people of Israel, because you've been disobedient, you're going to go away into captivity, the Babylonian captivity. But the last 27 chapters of the book of Isaiah are words of hope and encouragement and salvation for the people of Israel. Because what he says, although you will be taken away into captivity, I'm not going to desert you. As a matter of fact, I will get you safely home. Which is the message of the New Testament and the coming of Jesus Christ. He will provide salvation and get us safely home. We're introduced to the servant of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 40. For those of you that will have opportunity to hear uh, the Messiah uh, song uh, this uh, Christmas season, the opening words are recorded here. Uh, out of uh, Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, says the Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim her. And then in verse 3, a voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness the highway of our God. We are introduced to the servant of the Lord. Here's the solution. God's holy, we're not. We can't work our way up to heaven, but one has to come to save us. Someone has to come and take our place. And so we're introduced to the servant that comes. And it's here that we find out the message of comfort, of courage, of encouragement, and consolation. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Wait a minute, that's a familiar. Oh, John the Baptist. The one who looked at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The New Testament describes him as the one who is in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. By the way, um, this word here, prepare ye the way of the Lord, you will notice if you have your Bibles, it is capitalized. And whenever you have the word Lord capitalized in the Old Testament, it is the word Jehovah. So if someone comes to your door and claims to be giving a witness about Jehovah, and they don't believe that Jesus is God, then they don't believe in the Jehovah of the Bible. Because the prophecy is that one would come preparing the way for Jehovah. John the Baptist points at him and says, I'm the one that was prophesied. Behold the Lamb of God. He is Jehovah. He is God, the eternal Son. Added to his divinity, humanity, and came the baby born in Bethlehem. We're introduced to this servant. We find out a little bit more about this servant by going over to chapter 42. And in chapter 42, we say, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. 
He will not shout nor cry out nor raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Oh, this is the, the gentle Jesus. This is the caring Jesus. This is the one who came as the servant of God. Not with a lot of fanfare. He's not crying out in the streets like the other warriors who went off to war and brought back captives and paraded them through the streets saying, how great I am. No. He doesn't cry out in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You've been maybe out in the marsh and seen those uh, reeds that uh, bang against one another because of the winds uh, coming up. And uh, those reeds get bruised. Those are places of weakness. They can easily bend and be broken. (laughs) Jesus is portrayed as the one who will come into this world where there's a lot of bruising, a lot of difficulties, a lot of challenges. And uh, sometimes our faith grows weak because of the trials and and difficulties of this life. (laughs) Scripture says, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out, but will encourage. Even in our weakness, in the midst of our trials and difficulties, he comes beside us to encourage us. This is the servant of God. He is the gentle servant. He will not always be gentle. He comes the first time as the gentle Savior, but when he comes the second time, he comes as judge. And we need to be ready and be prepared. He is the gentle protector. Verse 43, chapter 43 and verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God. (laughs) Troubles. Just because we are believers in Christ does not mean that we will be exempt from trials and difficulties in this life. As a matter of fact, um, it's inevitable. (laughs) It doesn't say if trials come. It says when they come. That same Jesus is there who promises us to be with us. And so what he is saying to us is that even though trials and difficulties come, there will be no eternal damage done to you. I will get you safely home. And in the midst of it, he says, when these trials come, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. It doesn't mean that he's just standing beside us. It means that um, he's with us. He's in it. It's all part and parcel of the unfolding of God's plan and purpose for us. I will be with you. He is the protector, the deliverer. (laughs) He is the Messiah. Over in Isaiah chapter 61, we have uh, these words. Isaiah chapter uh, 61 And uh, verses uh, 1 and uh, 2. 
The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Here we see the dual nature. First of all, the day of favor, when he came first as the babe born in Bethlehem. But there is a day of judgment uh, that is uh, coming. But we're introduced to this uh, servant here. He says here that the Spirit of the Lord is on me. And the Lord has anointed me. That's uh, terminology for the Messiah. And he has sent me to preach good news to the poor. The word that's used here for poor is not necessarily or exclusively talking about uh, poor financially. It is really talking about those that are poor spiritually, and we all are. God is holy. I'm not. I'm in trouble. I don't have the resources. I can't buy my way. I can't get my way to heaven. He has come to preach the good news to those that are poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus says, as he comes and preaches uh, the, uh, the Beatitudes. He is the one who um, will come and bring good news uh, to the uh, poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And again, it's not just talking about those that are emotionally upset because uh, things haven't gone their way. This is talking about... Uh, a type of brokenness that's irreparable. Uh, It just can't happen unless God steps in and repairs that heart, giving to us the capacity for God and a relationship uh, with Him. He will proclaim freedom for the captives, (laughs) not those in jail. He's talking about those who are prisoners, of addictive behaviors. And if there's ever a time in society when um, addictive behaviors have almost taken over, it is these days. The way to get people away from addictive behavior, Jesus says, is to have them come to me. For I am able to preach good news to the poor. Uh, I'm able to uh, set captives uh, free. I'm able to give light, he says, to those that are in darkness. Jesus was uh, born in Bethlehem, uh, but he grew up in the town of Nazareth, up in the north part of um, Israel. And Luke chapter 4 records how that after the temptation of Jesus, which he confronted uh, Satan, he began his public ministry. And uh, Luke 4 talks about the fact that he went into a number of the synagogues teaching. And on one occasion, he went into the synagogue in Nazareth, which was his hometown. He was well-respected there and recognized. This is a town he grew up in. Many people that would have been in that synagogue would have been kids that he played with as he grew up. There would have been people in that synagogue who owned houses that maybe Jesus had built, that had entered into business relationships with him. He was well respected. And so when he came into that synagogue, the leaders 
handed him the scroll and said, uh, uh, would you do the reading for today? Jesus uh, took the scroll, came to the passage that we are reading here from Isaiah chapter uh, 61, and he read it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me. And he read that passage standing. And then he sat down to teach. In synagogues, you stand to read, you sit to teach. And what he said was, this day, this passage is fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> you can imagine a little bit of a stir in the synagogue. Did you hear what I heard? He thinks that he's the fulfillment of that passage. We're Jewish people. We know what goes on in the synagogue. We know the teaching of the synagogue. This is a passage that tells us about the coming of the Messiah. And they get angry. You think you're the Messiah? Jesus said today, this passage is fulfilled in your hearing. And they got angry. So angry that they threw him out of the synagogue chased him up to a cliff and would have gladly pushed him over the cliff. Except the scripture says that he walked through the crowd uh, unhurt. So begins the rejection of the gentle servant of God who comes. This one who came from heaven, adding to his divinity, humanity, to be born in a manger. Grew up and lived a perfect life upon this earth. Begins now to experience rejection. The fullness of that rejection is revealed to us in Isaiah chapter 53. For in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 2, we have these words. He grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of dry ground. <laughs> Here's the reason he was rejected. He came humbly. The nation Israel were expecting a root out of Jesse. Someone that's going to be a political power and influence. Get rid of these Romans and get our nation back to where we can have our own rule. We want a Messiah that is going to be powerful. We want the root of Jesse. We want the good old days of King David. He came as a root out of dry ground, humbly. But in addition to that, he was the suffering servant. Verse 3. He was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. <laughs> this isn't the one I want. This isn't the Savior that I want. I want a political one. I want one who is a winner, not a loser. A substitute, verse 4 and 5. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. And we considered him 
stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Wounded for me. Wounded for me. There on the cross, he was wounded for me. Gone my transgressions, and now I have peace. All because Jesus was wounded for me. Condescension, verse 9. This one who is God condescended to come to the earth. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. (laughs) This one who spoke the world into existence who created man and everything that is seen condescends to come to this earth. He for whom it was not robbery to be equal with God humbled himself, became a man, died upon the cross, the death of a slave. No wonder we could sing that although he condescended, Although he was humble, God has exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Either we will bow now as Savior, or someday we'll bow before him as judge. He um, condescended. He who created the world has to borrow a grave. The rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, again in prophecy fulfillment, that he identifies with the rich, but also uh, with the afflicted as he hangs upon that cross suspended uh, between two thieves, two criminals. Such condescension. But God became man, dwelt among us, and died. But it doesn't end there. Verse uh, 11 says that after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. He'll see the travail of his soul and uh, be satisfied. Victory will come as it did. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and I will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. No, it didn't end with Jesus dying as a substitute upon the cross. He was buried and rose again the third day. Ultimately, he ascended into heaven where he is now and will come again and receive unto himself all those who have put their faith and trust in him. And that's what Isaiah does. He focuses upon that great victory and that great place that God will take us. 
Now again, a prophecy, the immediate prophecy, and the ultimate. I'm sure Isaiah had no idea of the ultimate promise that uh, he was speaking of, but he was speaking of the immediate promise. And what he was saying is that God will get the children of Israel out of the, prom- out of the uh, uh, experience of Babylon and the captivity there, and he will get them back home to Jerusalem. But the New Testament writers, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, pick up on that message, and they talk about the new heavens and the new earth in a totally different way than uh, Isaiah is saying. Although Isaiah is using the words, I'm sure he doesn't quite understand what he is saying. But especially John the Apostle in the book of the Revelation, if you read through the chapter that we're going to look at right now, and you compare that with uh, Revelation chapter 21 and 22, it's almost the same. Similar language. Because Isaiah is giving a prophecy that is immediately fulfilled with the children of Israel coming out of Babylon and back to Jerusalem, but will be ultimately, filled when Jesus, ultimately be fulfilled when Jesus returns and takes us to that place of the new heaven and the new earth. Notice what it says in uh, chapter uh, 62, verses 11 and 12. Isaiah 62, 11 and 12. The Lord has made a proclamation. To the ends of the earth, say to the daughters of Zion, See, your Savior comes. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after, the city no longer deserted. And over in chapter 65, we have words that again appear Uh, in uh, the book of um, the Revelation. I'm sure that Isaiah had no idea what he was writing uh, about with regard to the possibility of a new heaven and a new earth uh, coming down out of heaven, uh, a new Jerusalem coming down. I'm sure he had no idea of the distinction between what theologians have debated for some time, what part is the millennium, what part is the eternal uh, new heaven and new earth. He had not even, he would not have even thought of that as he was writing this revelation under the Spirit of God, as the Spirit of God was directing him to write and to speak. But John picks up uh, many of uh, these words. And he describes it in in, uh, Isaiah chapter uh, uh, 65, verses uh, 17 and 18. Here's what Isaiah says under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, of what God will do. Behold, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. (laughs) Verse uh, 19 and throughout the rest of the chapter, he talks about the fact of... uh, what won't be. It's interesting that uh, John, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, takes the same approach in the book of the Revelation about heaven. It doesn't tell us a lot about what is there. Matter of fact, the Scripture elsewhere says that it hasn't even entered into the mind or the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. 
But what he does do in the book of the Revelation is tell us what won't be there. And I think the Spirit of God gave to Isaiah the same basic concept as he's saying in the new heaven and the new earth, in the new Jerusalem, here are some things that won't be there. Verse uh, 19, I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. John says of that uh, new Jerusalem that's coming down out of heaven. And that new earth, that new heaven, where we will dwell for, where, forever. No more tears. <laughs> no more pain. Next verse. Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. I think that um, in um, 46 years of uh, ministry, the most difficult times that I have ever had in ministry is dealing with families who are burying children. In a perfect world, parents aren't supposed to bury their children. This is not a perfect world. It's a fallen world. Sin has brought death and disease and all kinds of difficulties. And sometimes I have concluded that uh, the most difficult pain that people ever experience here on this earth is the death of a child in heaven. In the new heaven and the new earth, no more tears, no more pain. He says here that uh, there's no more insecurity. Verses 21 and uh, 22. They will build houses and dwell in them, and they will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. Again, the immediate fulfillment, what God, what, uh, God is saying to the children of Israel, you're going to go away in captivity. <laughs> and the houses that you have built here in Jerusalem and the nice gardens that you have planted, <laughs> somebody's going to live in those houses. Houses. Somebody's going to eat the benefit of those uh, gardens. You're going to have an insecure experience. You're going to go away into captivity. In heaven, no more tears. No more pain. No more insecurity. For we are with God. Behold, <laughs> he has a place prepared for us. Jesus made that promise. If I go... I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am in heaven, there you may be also. I go to prepare a place for you, a place of security, a place where there'll be no more disappointments. This life has all kinds of disappointments. Verse 23, they will not toil in vain nor bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord they and their descendants with them. <laughs> a place um, where there is um, no lack, complete provision. Verse 24, before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. <laughs> Sometimes we pray, and it seems like a long time before we get an answer. Sometimes we pray, and their prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, and we we're questioning, where, where are you, God? In heaven, uh, there's uh, no delay. 
before we could even imagine a particular thing that we might need, it is already supplied by the gracious, merciful, heavenly Father. It's a place um, of no violence, verse 25. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. In a world that's uh, filled with violence, look at the newspapers. Look at your television. Listen to the news. All kinds of violence of every type in our world, in heaven. No more violence. And in heaven, the ultimate victory will be realized that uh, actually Jesus won when he died upon the cross. For there, although it bruised uh, his heel, he bruised the head of Satan, the serpent. And in verse 25, we have a little hint of that. And dust will be the serpent's food. It's almost like God is saying to Satan, you chose the battleground of dust. You're going to eat that throughout eternity. You are the one that chose the battleground of dust because I, out of the dust of the earth, created man and you sought to destroy him. But I have provided victory and salvation for him. And he is mine. And you will eat dust through all eternity. This is great news. Um, but there's a bit of a warning. And that's how Isaiah ends the book. He talks about good news. But he also talks a warning about bad news. In Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 22. As the new heavens and the new earth that I made will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. Talks about it from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another. All mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. And they will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. Their worm will not die, nor will their fire be quenched. And they will be loathsome to all mankind. What's this talking about? Well, again, going back to the idea of the immediate fulfillment and the ultimate fulfillment. On the south side of the city of uh, Jerusalem is a valley called the Hidden, Hidden Valley. Um, and um, during Bible times, that was really where there was a dump. All of the garbage of the city of Jerusalem was brought out there and dumped and burned. The fires just continued to burn. So, from out of the valley of Hinnon, we get our word Ganena, and it is the word hell. And so, uh, the picture of that garbage dump that was prophesied here as as Isaiah is saying, there's going to be a, a big war here. And bodies will also be thrown on the dump. And that dump just keeps on burning. Worms don't die. Uh, and the fires are unquenched. It is 
God the Holy Spirit that gives to the New Testament writers and to Jesus himself that terminology to describe the place called hell. I um, serve as uh, the chaplain for the Oshawa Generals. Uh, I invited uh, some of the guys to uh, come uh, today, but uh, they were playing uh, last night in Sault Ste. Marie, so if any of them happened to got here, they'd be sleeping like some of the rest. Uh, no, uh, they, they would be falling asleep uh, during, uh, during the service. Um, a while ago, about uh, three weeks ago or so, um, I got a call from the general manager asking if I would uh, go uh, to the arena. Um, one of the young players on the team had just heard that his dad died. Um, so I went and uh, spent some time uh, with him. Ultimately, uh, went to uh, the uh, funeral uh, in a uh, Catholic church that was completely packed. Over here in the first uh, three or four rows uh, sat uh, all of the uh, Oshawa generals uh, for that uh, uh, Catholic uh, mass. The uh, priest, um, to my surprise, um, asked a very significant question. He asked the question, focusing upon the man who had died, he turns attention to the congregation and to the generals and said, after you die, where will you be, in heaven or in hell? I wondered a little bit about uh, the name over the uh, church door, but uh, that's the specific question that he asked, and that's the question that I'm giving to you today. One minute after you die, will you be in heaven or in hell? The good news is uh, Isaiah gives an invitation. In Isaiah chapter uh, 55, here is the invitation uh, that he gives. Come, all you that are thirsty, come to the waters, you who have no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the riches of fare. God is holy and we're not. God has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ that suffering Savior who died for you and for me, who um, was buried, rose victorious over sin, death, and hell, ascended into heaven, and someday will come, and we will be with him forever in that new heaven and new earth if you have responded to the invitation. Come. Oh, I, I, I'm undone. I, I, I can't earn my way to heaven. I, I don't have the resources. I can't work my way. For you, there's good news. The good news is come because Jesus has provided the resources 
to make up what you could not. In his perfection, he died as your substitute and mine so that you can have the gift of eternal life. The warning, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. And let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. <laughs> Double invitation. For those that uh, have never come to trust Christ as Savior, know a little bit about the babe in Bethlehem. He was the Christ of Calvary who died for you. And by acknowledging your sin and asking for forgiveness, you can have the gift of eternal life. And for all of us who have trusted Christ as Savior, Isaiah's a question, why are you spending money and spending time and energy on things that really don't matter? Live with eternity's values in view, shall we pray. Our Father, we're um, more than a little overwhelmed that the God who created the ends of the earth would come in the person of a baby, grow to be a man who would die for us. And so, our Father, um, we humbly come before you today with uh, thankful hearts for the privileges ours of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord so that we don't have to face him someday as judge. Thank you, our Father, that into this world of toil and trouble, Jesus came. He has promised to be with us in the midst of those toils and troubles and someday to take us completely away from them in that new heaven and the new earth. May the joy of that message, the message of the gospel, the message of good news, grip us today and over this holiday season for Jesus' sake.